Parkview Church, blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Wade. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's so great to hear Michael's story. Michael is a close friend of mine, and we love that brother, and we love the work that God has done in his life, a story of, uh, of, of death, really, but moving to life in Christ, newness of life in the resurrected Christ, and that's what we're celebrating this morning on Easter Sunday. Such a joy to be opening God's word with you. We're going to be in Luke 24, the story of the resurrection in Luke 24. You can open your Bibles there now. And Christians all over the world this day, this Easter Sunday, are having tons of gospel fun celebrating the fact that in the first century, the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth was empty and that Jesus is alive with a real physical body and he is reigning right now as Lord over all creation with power and life for all who would have the humility to just receive it. This is Easter Sunday. This is the joy in the hearts of every Christian. And so today... As we turn to Luke 24, I want to ask us a simple question as we explore this passage, verses 1 to 12. And remember that Luke was a first century historian whose gospel, gospel basically was an ancient biography. His gospel of Jesus is based on eyewitness accounts that he studied and that he heard and then he wrote down for us that have been faithfully, reliably given to us throughout the centuries. And what we're going to see is that four times, four times in just 12 verses, Luke focuses the action of people in the story around one word, tomb, tomb, the empty tomb of Jesus. And so the question before every single one of us, the question that the Lord Jesus himself presses into each of us is what do you do with the empty tomb of Jesus? What do you do this Easter morning with the reality of the empty tomb of Jesus. Let's hear now God's word for us. Luke 24, starting in verse one. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they, speaking of the women, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man, that's another kind of nickname for Jesus, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be cruci crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is God's word. It is true, and it's given to us in love. So let's pray together. 
Father, help us see the loveliness of your risen son, all of the life that he gives to us in the midst of all of our little tombs, our death. Help us see Jesus this morning. Give me strength by your spirit to speak happily and freely and openly about the great power and life in the resurrected Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So what do we do with all of these tombs? As a young kid, I still remember visiting Arlington National Cemetery there in Washington, D.C., and 640 acres of white tombs, hill after hill after hill of tombs. And for a young kid like myself, I was, it was a bit difficult to grasp and grapple with the reality of so much death. But it was not just where I was that morning, a massive cemetery of about 400,000 tombs, it was when I was at that cemetery that was so striking to me. You see, it was October of 2001. And I still remember walking over the hill next to thousands and thousands of tombs and looking over the final crest of a hill and seeing the Pentagon and in the side of the Pentagon, a massive hole because of the airplane that struck it from the September 11th terrorist attacks. And that itself pointed to me to another tragedy of death. More tombs. Tombs. What do we do with all of these tombs in our lives? What about you here today? On this Easter morning, what do you do with all the tombs? Globally, we are seeing the mass graves for bombed and destroyed bodies in Ukraine. There are reports recently of terrible flooding in South Africa, killing more than 300 people. There are mass burials for hundreds in Nigeria, killed by gunmen, tombs, tombs, and more tombs. What do we do with all of these tombs? And then there's the sober reality of our own tombs, our own impending death, our bodies literally empty, entering a tomb one day. And though in our late modern culture, we try to resist death and aging as much as possible, but the reality is that in every conversation, in every drive to work, in every moment at work, in every moment at home with kids or with family, there's something, a shadow that looms over us of death, our tomb. Now, at first glance, this does not seem to be such a happy Easter so far. We're not off to a great start. Death and tombs. But friends, death is our greatest enemy. It is the deepest problem that looms over our head each moment of every day. And not only what we might call big T tombs of actual death, but those little T tombs, those little experiences of death and difficulty and discouragement and suffering that fill our lives. Like Michael, that he said, there was a time that it got so dark, he just wanted to die without any hope. The death of a relationship we thought would last. The death of hopes for our children. Becoming the people that we thought they would become. The death to joys and happiness of a life that we dreamed about, but now has crashed into pain and regret. Tombs, tombs, tombs. Like me as a kid at Arlington Cemetery those many years ago, to be human is to walk among tombs. 
and to live among tombs. What do we do with all of these tombs? Is there any hope to triumphing over the great enemy, death? Well, God has good news for us this morning in Luke 24, and it's this, that our tombs, whether the literal death that is coming for us or the disappointing discouragements that we all face, our tombs, get this, our tombs can be turned into triumph of life through the resurrection of Christ. Our tombs can be turned into triumph of life through the empty tomb of the resurrected Christ. So to think about this, to to look at all the tombs around us, we need to go all the way back and to explore a tomb in Jerusalem in the first century, the empty tomb of Jesus of Nazareth. Let's explore it together in Luke 24. And there's four ways we want to respond this morning. First is discover the fact of the empty tomb. Second is hear the message of the empty tomb. Third is admit our doubts that we have about the reality of the empty tomb. And then finally, we have to leave here marveling, marveling at the empty tomb of Jesus. First, let's discover the empty tomb, the fact of the empty tomb. Verses 1 to 3, here we meet the women who earlier in chapter 23 we saw, they saw where Jesus was buried in his tomb. They know where the tomb was, and so they arrive at the tomb. They go into the tomb, verse 2, but verse 3, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. An empty tomb, but this tomb was discovered by women. Now, we might pass over the fact nowadays, but John Dixon, a well-respected historian of the first century culture, says this, the testimony of women was seriously questioned in both Jewish and Greco-Roman cultures of the time. If one were to make up a story about a resurrection and they wanted fellow first century people to believe it, one would not include women as the initial witnesses. Yet here we read in verse 3, there are women that go to a tomb, but the body of the Lord Jesus is not in the tomb. Women find an empty tomb. So therefore, it seems then the most plausible explanation is what Luke is doing here as as a good, trustworthy historian is, is recording actual historical fact that actual women actually encountered the actual empty tomb of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, this is why this is important because Christianity is not first a spirituality. It is not first a way of life or a philosophy or a psychological crutch or whatever is commonly understood about Christianity nowadays in our culture. What Christianity is first and foremost is real, reliable history. Of all the belief systems available to us today, Christianity is unique in its radical insistence that what we believe as Christians throughout the century is based upon real, reliable, historical events in the first century in Jerusalem. Now, how you interpret those facts depends on your philosophy, the lens by which you view the world. If you think whether or not it's possible for a creator God who exists, who has made a world, to you know, enter into the world and produce supernatural events like a resurrection. It, it's based on your lens, your view of the world. But nevertheless, here is the point, friends. Like these women, the question before us this morning, the first question is, have you, have you discovered the fact of the empty tomb of Jesus of Nazareth? This actually happened. The tomb was empty on the first Easter morning, and most all well-respected historians of the first century agree 
on that fact. But once you do the first thing of discovering the empty tomb, you need to move to the second response. The second response is this, this Easter morning. It's hearing the message of the empty tomb, verses 4 to 9. Notice verse 4. The women are perplexed about the empty tomb. And then in verse 8 to 9, they remember Jesus' words and return from the tomb to tell the other disciples what happened. So how do you explain how these women go from perplexing confusion about the empty tomb to courageous witness declaring that the tomb is empty. How, how did that change happen? Well, the answer there is in verses 6 to 7. The angels, these messengers from God, retell the gospel story of Jesus. They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he, talking about Jesus, how Jesus told you that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And then in verse 8, the women remember these words and then go and report these words to the disciples. So what transforms these women is hearing and embracing the words of Jesus about the empty tomb. Notice the word there in verse 7. It says must, must. Jesus must be crucified, meaning this was God's intended plan from the beginning of what must happen if God was going to deal decisively with our great enemy, with all of the tombs, the tombs, the death that fill our lives. You see, the Bible tells the story of how God made humans for joyful life in his presence. Yet here's the issue. You and I both know in our most honest moments, we do not live in the fullness of joy and life that God intended for us. Instead of optimistic dreams, we have miserable regrets. Instead of healthy relationships, we have broken hearts and broken homes. Instead of peace and calm inside of us, we have ongoing frustration and anger. Instead of joy, we have self-destructing emotions and desires and habits. All the complex fracturing of our existence points to this reality. Instead of life the way God intended it, we have tombs, death, sadness, suffering, and all of this at root is what the Bible calls sin. All of these broken fracturings trace itself back to the reality that humans are in rebellion, rebellion against God. And think of the logic. If through our sin we have separated ourselves from God, if we have, so to speak, cut ourselves off from the oxygen tank of the life-giving love and presence of God, where else do you go than death? Or what else do you have than tombs, tombs, and tombs? You see, tombs are enemy invaders in God's plan for life. In other words, when God built this world, cemeteries were never part of the original landscape architecture. And yet God's loving response is to send Christ his son who has the fullness of life on a mission to put death to death. And the gospel was explained that Jesus took our sin and he went it with a real body in a real grave, but then with that real body, he burst forth up from the grave, rising again, Jesus defeating our enemy death at its own game. And this is the good news of the gospel that we must hear. This is what the angels are telling the women to remember. Because the point is this, human investigation is important, yes, when looking at the empty tomb, but more than that, human investigation must bow down ultimately to divine revelation, 
to what God's word says about the facts of Jesus. So the question is this, this morning. Have you heard the message of Jesus Christ crucified for your sin, Jesus Christ raised from death to give you newness of life? Have you personally exchanged your death, your sin, and giving it to Jesus and receive from him forgiveness and life with God? Have you done that? That's the second thing we must do. The first is discover the tomb. The second is we must hear the message of the tomb and respond. But third, third, the honest thing is some of us are still doubting and we need to look at the, the disciples in verses 10 to 11. The the women speak about the tomb, but the disciples are skeptical. These words seem to them an idle tale, and they do not believe. That's the third response is they don't believe. They are honest about their doubts about the empty tomb. You see, Jewish people believe that the resurrection transformed bodily existence would happen far, far in the future at the very end of history with all people rising at the same time. No one in the first century believed, no one in the first century believed that a single person could rise from death to a transformed bodily existence. That was not part of the built-in way of thinking in that time and place. They were just as skeptical, get this, about a single person rising from the dead as we are today in our late modern secular culture. And so they disbelieve. But then think about this. We're confronted with something very compelling in the history of the world, unlike anything else in history, something we might say that is a bit odd and we have to think about. How do you explain then the courageous expansion of the message of Christ in the first century from these very specific Jewish men who at first are so fearful and doubting and disbelieving about the empty tomb? How do you explain that? The transformation that happened. It must be because something or someone changed their thinking at the deepest level from disbelief to true belief. And the reason is because, yes, they admitted their doubt, but then they went a step or two further and explored more deeply the evidence of the empty tomb, of what really happened. And so the question is, is are you willing to do that this morning? Some of us sitting there right now in our seats are like the disciples, thinking the empty tomb is a total fairy tale. Total fairy tale. That one person raised with a physical body in the first century. It sounds crazy. But if that person, Jesus, was raised, and if he is truly Lord and God, and he says he has the power of life, but rejecting this life leads to death, is it not more crazy not to investigate it? not to take steps to explore further. And that's why, friends, as a church, we want to offer this three-week class of Hope Explored. You've heard details about it. I won't go into it. But it's designed for us here who have those honest doubts and that we welcome those things. Jesus himself welcomes those things. He put into his Bible people who doubted his resurrection to prove to you this Easter morning that he wants you to take a step further in exploring it. So we need to discover the fact of the empty tomb. Second, hear the message of the empty tomb and embrace it. And third, admit our honest doubts about it, taking steps to explore. But fourth and finally, following Peter's example, we must marvel at the empty tomb. We must marvel at the empty tomb this morning, friends. Verse 12 says, Peter runs to the tomb. He's running with urgency, 
Not a lot of people are running all the time in the Bible in that culture. Nothing matters more than this to Peter. He is running. He looks inside the tomb. He sees the claws by themselves. The tomb is empty. And Peter walks home marveling at what happened. And that's my hope this morning. That on that Easter morning, Peter saw the empty tomb, walked home marveling. This Easter morning, we are to look at the empty tomb and walk home marveling. Do you know why, as humans, we marvel? Do you know how our hearts are filled with wonder at something? This is what happens. It's when what you expect of life turns into something far greater than you could imagine. You see, 20-year-old Wade, years ago, hearing from the girl he was falling in love with in college say she just wanted to be my friend. What I expected at that point onward in our friendship was that in conversation, just friendship, and hanging out after class, just friends. But then that girl, Claire Talby, told me that she changed her mind. She wanted to be my girlfriend, and then eventually fiance, and then finally wife. You see, she changed her mind that night, and you know what happened? I went home marveling. Because I had an expectation of the way life should work. But then it turned into something far greater than I could imagine. I mean, just think about Peter, what we learn from him in the stories, the Gospels. A man who was a total failure, he failed to stay awake for Jesus while Jesus was in the garden. Failure. He denied Jesus three times, more failure, lying that he didn't know Jesus. And then he, he, he saw his friend being carried away by the Romans to be executed on a cross. Peter's a man, we might say, who expected one thing out of life. A man like Michael, in the story on the screen of what he shared with, about his life, uh, of expecting one thing is, is tombs. Little t tombs of disappointment and grief and sadness and regret and shame and broken relationships and sin and sin and sin, yes, but then final capital T tomb of death, that great enemy expecting that of life. But then on Easter Sunday, something changed for Peter. And something changes for us this Easter Sunday. With Peter, we hear about the empty tomb. With Peter, we run to the empty tomb of Jesus. And with Peter, we marvel at the empty tomb of Jesus because Jesus turns the tomb of death into the triumph of his resurrection life. That is how good Jesus is. Today I've been asking, what do you do with the empty tomb? But here in verse 12, don't you see the empty tomb does something to Peter? And today if we are humble enough to receive it, Parkview, God wants the empty tomb to do something to us this Easter Sunday, to make us marvel again, to make us wonder, to put away the cynical sadness inside all of us, and to make us open and willing to hope again in God's power and life that he has displayed in Jesus Christ. Because like Peter, like Michael of his story that he shared, we so often know the tombs, right? We look at our lives and we see the places of death, those places of struggle and disappointment and failure and regret. We look at our lives and it feels like our tombs are always so full. But what we must do is look to the tomb of Jesus because it is empty. He is not here. He is risen. The Lord Jesus Christ on that marvelous Easter Sunday turned your tomb of death 
into his resurrected life. If Jesus is strong enough then, Parkview, and good enough, Parkview, and loving enough to deal with the big T tomb of death, then don't you think that Jesus is strong enough and loving enough and good enough this morning to help you and walk beside you and care for you and be your closest friend with you in the midst of your little tea tombs of disappointment and suffering and sin? If I'm strong enough to pick up my two-year-old son when he really hurts himself, don't you think I'm strong enough and loving enough to help him when he scratches his knee? You see, Jesus turns your tomb of death into his resurrection life. But it means more than that. It means this, and I'll close with this. Sally Lloyd-Jones is a famous children's author. She wrote this wonderful children's book about Jesus, and she says this about the resurrection of Jesus. God meant us to live forever, but sin has broken everything, and now we all die. Jesus came to earth to destroy death. He died on the cross and was buried in a tomb. But death couldn't keep him dead. On the third day, he burst out of the tomb, and now death cannot keep us dead. She quotes the preacher Charles Spurgeon saying this, that in the resurrection, Jesus has turned the tomb into a bed. And dying into just waking up, yes, we will still die. Yes, we still have those little tea tombs, but after we die, we will wake as if from a refreshing night's sleep, and Jesus will lead us by the hand into life that will never end. And the promise of Jesus Christ in his resurrection is that if he's going to do that, one day, bringing you in your dead body, raising to newness of life, resurrected body in a new creation, then surely right now, right here, right now, with all of your discouragement, and all of the sadness and the struggle with sin and all of the pain that he too, he too through his power can bring hope, hope and joy in life. So friends, I ask you this Easter morning, why do you look for the living among the dead, those tombs? He is not here. He is risen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you and give you glory and praise and honor for Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son, who on that Easter morning in the first century burst out of the grave with newness of life, physical resurrection life, as a prototype, a first fruits, the beginning of a new creation, so that all of us here today, if we would just trust in the Lord Jesus, that one day our tomb will turn into a bed and we will wake up with you and enter into eternal happiness forever in a new creation, world without end. Amen.